The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. So, um, you know, there, there are two highlights for me in every series. When it begins and when it ends, you know, it's like I'm ready for to move on to the next series. So next week, for three weeks, we'll look at a a series topic called Essentials, uh, What You Need for Life. And we'll talk about marriage and beat that to death. And then you can leave here thinking, my marriage blows. And, um, or somebody's like, good, I'm so glad I'm not married. You know. And then, um. <laughs> but I've been working on a talk regarding anger. And it's really been pissing me off. No, I've been working on a talk. <laughs> So stupid. I've been working on a talk regarding anger, and uh, I've developed so much material from my personal life that it might end up being actually two talks. And, and this is what I think is critical about it, that I, I think you're, you're, um, there'll be some limitations regarding who you are as a person, how far you advance. It, it affects your relationships, your career, just so many things, um, colors, your inability to manage or understand anger. All right? So... Uh, so it, it probably will be two talks, and uh, we'll go from that route. And, 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 and I think it's just critical that we have an idea of our understanding our own anger, others' angers, and what does it mean when God is angry, and, and how that works. And uh, Spoiler alert, it's amazing. And uh, So this is the last in, in the series we've done about other world religions and systems, and we've looked at Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism, atheism, Scientology, and we have this sort of a different subset with um, Judaism, Roman Catholicism, and uh, Mormonism. I think if you have enjoyed these talks, uh, you're demonstrating an amazing taste for good, for good lectures, but, but uh, Pastor Irwin and I are the only two... Uh, pastors that did these talks out of the seven different campuses. The other guys were doing something uh, stupid, uh, but that was different. But uh, so Pastor Irwin and I, we did these talks. And so if, if, you, if you've enjoyed this, uh, Pastor Irwin's talks have, a, have a, a slightly different take on, on the same subject. And maybe just to get a fuller, uh, more comprehensive uh, idea of these talks, I would you know, suggest you download his talks as well. So you go to Mosaic and you get his stuff on video or audio, Mosaic Whittier, and you get it on audio. And it'll be available. I think what one of the benefits have been that the more you understand the common points between uh, Christianity and other world religions is that you get a better appreciation for yours. And we chose to do the truth that's, that's between us, not what's different about us for one important reason. Well, a couple, but the main important reason is to have, be able to have intelligent conversations with people who are of other faiths. That's just the way it is. Uh, I think for many times we, uh, we, we mean well, but we frame everything in terms of, you know, you're wrong and I'm right. I don't care what it is, whether it's human sexuality, right to life issues, politics. Uh, you know, there's the assumption that because we know Jesus, we have the right opinion about everything. And that's not often the case. And, you know, and worse, if I was listening to myself speaking in that, in that fashion, I would think... I, you know, I don't even know. It just demonstrates a lot of poor social skills and people skills. And it, it, no matter who you are, what you do, and any kind of relationship, just, here's a life tip. When you can find the common ground between you and the other individual, whether you're married, whether it's a client, whether it's a, you know, an angry customer, it doesn't, you, know, you, you go a lot more further in finding an agreement when you start with what's 
the, uh, the common points or the touch points between you two versus focusing on what, is, um, what, what makes you different. And every skilled negotiator, every skilled salesperson knows that. Um, but we, we, we toss that out completely and all the social skills that our parents try to raise us with when we become followers of Jesus at times. You know, we're right. We have the truth. And uh, so this morning, um, I'm going to take a look at Mormonism. And um, some of you might have friends who are Mormons or maybe perhaps you came from a, a Mormon background. And so um, let's take a moment. Let me, let me shift gears even further down. Pray and then we'll start this conversation. Father, thank you for being a God who is actually there and hears us. And you tell us in, some ama- in an amazing way, while you know all things that are going to happen, you, you've, you've told us that prayer actually still can create the future. And, and, and so we wish to invite you into our hearts and minds to take us places in our head that we could never have gone without your assistance. I pray that you would enlarge our thinking, enlarge our souls that we would even gain insights that we have no business understanding or knowing had it not been for the God who is there that steps into our reality and opens us up to understand more than we could have done on our own. So this, 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 this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to lead us and to guide us into truth, and that we would understand more fully and appreciate more, more, more clearly the amazing person of Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Let me start by reading a passage out of Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17 says this. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Now, if you don't know, even if you're not familiar with the scripture, you know this is just insincere uh, flattery. This is, they don't mean this. They, they're hoping to catch this guy in a controversial subject. In fact, uh, it, it's not uncommon. You know, if um, a friend of mine, we were out somewhere, I forgot where we were, and then she said, oh, yeah, this is my pastor. And it always changes the dynamic of a conversation. I, I tell people, you know, if, if, if you never introduce me as your pastor, I'm fine. You know, I have a first name. It's Octavio. And, uh, and so, but when people find that out about you, they, they want to ask you that question that you can't win. You know, so, you know, what do you think about blah, 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 whatever it might be. And um, so this is one of those moments where no matter what Jesus answers, yes, you should pay taxes or no, you should not pay taxes. It's a lose-lose proposition. And the Herodians, which were politically aligned with the powers in, at Rome, the occupying nation, the occupying force in Israel... And, you know, to get a feel for it, you have to, you know, think of it in terms of the United States and Afghanistan, the United States and Iran, I mean, uh, Iraq, um, that they're were viewed as occupiers. Uh, I'm not making a statement if that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that that's the, that would be the feeling for, for a native. Um, and it would be as asking the Iraqis to pay taxes to the United States. And then there's this person who's, you know, maybe a bit of a revolutionary and a radical. Should we pay taxes? To the United States. And it carries even more weight than that because there was just this internal daily insult to pay taxes to the occupying nation, occupying force that's in your country. You consider them unwanted, unwelcomed, uninvited, and also 
uh, spiritually dark and foul. And you have a low view of them as people, but they have all the power. And, and then we have to pay you money on top of that, and we have to use your money. We can't even use our money. Verse 15, should we pay them or shouldn't we? And, but Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he said. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. Bring me one of those, you know, those coins that you guys hate so much. Now, oddly, somebody had one. You know, you flip it over to Jesus, catches it because, you know, he's Jesus. And so, um, let me look at it. So, you know, there probably was a pause. He's checking it out. They brought the coin and he asked him, well, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to him, well, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. The, um, the denarius, um, uh, uh, you, could, you can just Google this. You see the images of it. Just Google denarius and Caesar, denarius, first century. And on the front of it, there's a profile of a guy, probably Caesar. And it says Caesar Augustus. And then on the back side would have something about Caesar divine or, you know, being God. And so even the money that they had to use, the, the Jewish uh, population, would have to use Roman coinage. Was just a constant reminder of, of how awful these people were in their, in their understanding. That somebody human would claim to be God. Now, if there is... One distinctive that I think separates us from our Mormon friends would have to be the idea that somehow we can become God and that, we were, or that God was once a man and that we as humans will become gods as well. Um, it, it's a big one. You know, it's, it's huge. Um, but, but when I look at the Mormon community as a whole, I, I, I find some incredible, incredible characteristics that often when I look at my uh, spiritual community, my own family, I think sometimes it's missing and lacking. So let me give you some examples and then tell me what you think of your experiences. I had a, uh, an elder, a Mormon elder, as one of my bosses in, uh, in the telecommunication industry. And this man, was name was Jim Garris, great guy, probably one of the people that has influenced my life in terms of thinking uh, ethnically regarding the job of sales and a number of other issues regarding um, stuff in general. Good guy, funny. I remember I told Jim this joke once. I said, hey, Jim, why is it <laughs> that Mormon women stop having children at 36? And he says, I don't know. I said, because 37 is just too many. <laughs> he's, he's just laughing. Oh, I can't wait to get to temple and tell that joke. And Monday, he said, your joke was a hit. <laughs> Thank you. I'm here all week. Jim had a... Jim had a high, high view of marriage. Now, here's what's troubling to me. Now, let me know if you guys have thought this. And if you haven't, now you're, trouble, now you're going to be as troubled as I am. And so, you know, I'm, I want to share the pain. Whether or not you think gay and lesbians should be married to me is not relevant. What, what it strikes me odd is how the Christian community has gotten so worked up over this subject. I don't know what we're defending in what I've read from people who are Christian friendly, the Christian community is not, does not have the same divorce rate as people who are not in the Christian community. It's higher. 
And when I read about specific uh, private Christian universities and the divorce rate from people who meet at that, those college universities and then leave, it's higher still. And so I wonder, again, I, I, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm for or against gay or lesbian marriage. Right? So don't quote me later on, Octavio said, or Mosaic's position. No, I'm just making an observation that in the Christian community, we get really worked up over this subject and don't care about it at all, apparently. Okay? But that's not true in the Mormon church. High view of marriage. A high view, and regardless of how you feel men and women should be relating to each other, you know, what, what the role is, um, they seem to live it out. And by a consequence, they have a high view of children. Something I also see absent with among my friends and the young adults in the Christian community. Here's what's weird. <laughs> I'll see somebody, and, and, and before I say what I'm going to say, I have to give a disclaimer so you know it's going to be awful. I don't care if you don't have kids. That's, if you're married and you chose not to have kids, good for you. I get it. And if you have millions of pets, great, good for you. I have two worthless animals, and I, you know. <laughs> I don't believe in socialism and welfare, but apparently my, with my animals, I practice it, because they do nothing. Not, there's, there's not even self-awareness. There's just, there's just, they're complete imbeciles, these two animals. And I'm right behind them, feeding them, picking up their poop. That's, that's, how, that's how stupid I am. I hate them because I hate myself. For loving them. Why can't I quit you? So they'll have a low view of children because of the cost to their freedom. Uh, there's a young couple I, I, I know here at Mosaic, and, and uh, they're an amazing couple. They're great people. I've known them both when they were single, now that they're married. So they've been married a couple of years, and so uh, the young woman is now pregnant. <clears throat> and I congratulated the husband. I finally figured it out. And then um, I said, oh, this is amazing. Great, good for you. I go, oh, that's you're going to really love life. It's just an amazing way of viewing things. It just, and, she, and I go, you know, my wife and I, we tried to have kids right away. We had kids as quickly as we could. Oh, didn't you want to have time for yourself? Now, I, I didn't filter. I didn't stop to think. I should have, I realized this is a friend. This, I, you know, it's, why should I impose my view on this individual? But then again, I thought, why not? So I, I, so I said, I go, you know, my wife and I, we just weren't that selfish or narcissistic. And I was like, as soon as I, and then, and then I had to turn it into a joke. <laughs> but if you would ask me honestly, knowing now what I know at the back end of it, all my kids are grown and gone. Jail. But no, they're grown and gone. <laughs> oh, they left the country. They were fleeing from the law. So the... Um, you know, I, I would have, I probably would have hesitated. I thought, wow, that, that's going to be a big change. And even if you're a lousy parent, you do stuff for your kids that you never even do for your spouse. It's, it's a huge thing. But I remember joking that, you know, when you're married of no children, it's just like one long date. I mean, there's some dates are not so good than others, but it's just one long date. It's not until you have kids that your life goes into the toilet. And I, I said that jokingly, but, and I don't want to give the impression that I really think that because I don't. I have never had, if there is one huge influence in my life that's changed the way I think about God, God the Father, loving people, loving parents. It's having kids. It is the most unusual experience ever. First of all, your wife makes a person. 
how's that happen? I mean, I know how it happens, but, <laughs> but what an amazing thing. You, women make immortals. You make people that live forever, number one. Number two, uh, I've joked, you know, I, I do believe in love at first sight. It happened three times. Each one of my kids. It was, a, oh, <laughs> don't do that, I'm going I'm to get weepy. Uh, I, I, it, this, I didn't, this was a complete stranger. I remember ha- being surprised over the wave of emotions that washed over me when I held my 10-minute old son. And he was disgusting. <laughs> Nothing has changed. I still love him, and he's disgusting. <laughs> and so, I, you know, church, friends, countrymen, vatos, <sighs> I, I don't know, I... I I think it says something about you and your husband if you say, if you choose not to have children for whatever reason it might be, that's not the issue. But ask yourself, am I doing this because I don't want to give up my resources, my lifestyle, or my figure? There's something you might be missing, you know, and, and and I... This is not, I'm not making a judgment or a value on people who choose not to have children. But the way I hear it, oh, I wouldn't want to clean somebody else's poop and mess and blah, blah, blah. But then you have a pet and you pick up their crap. Something's about this weird, which is the same way it's weird to me when someone refers to their their dogs as their babies. It's an animal. It's not a human being. I love pets. Like I said, I have two. And it's really going to kill me if... I'm getting weepy. It's going to hurt me when they die. But it's an animal. It's not a human being that has the mark of the internal God on its soul. And I think animals have souls. But so did Augustine. So does Dr. Moreland. So, you know, Mormons have this right. High view of marriage. High view of children. High view of family. And we just don't sometimes. Um, there's almost a junior high love mentality about marriage that doesn't, of course, include children. And, uh, you know, my wife and I did our part. We had three. So there it is. Oh, one more thing. Just because you have kids, I don't think you're a better human being either. I- I'm just saying that there's something about, wow, you know what? I remember actually thinking when uh, being concerned that if I had a, a son or a daughter that I, I you know, how do I, how do I uh, segment love away from my wife to give to my kids? Do you ever think that? you ever think love's kind of like a fixed commodity? Like a pie? So, uh, you know, I was worried, that how, well, how do I love my wife less to be able to love my kids? And the reality is, is that it doesn't, Take, it enlarges you. And so there's, there's an enlargement process. The, the, the more people that you do deeply love and care for and sacrifice for, it, it does make you stronger. It makes you, uh, it makes you courageous because you do risk breaking, having your heart broken. And some of you who are parents that have kids that are not doing well, you know what I mean. But, but by the same token, though, then I understand a bit more about God's love for me. So I told this one young man who, you know, they're starting to have family. I said, you know, if there's one benefit having a son or daughter is going to give to you is that you'll understand something about the Father's love in heaven for you. It'll enlarge your theology. You'll have a bit more meat 
on that your thinking of of love because you'll just experience it in a different way and you'll relate to your father in heaven in a different way. So marriage and families um, and human life they they are big on right to, on on human life you know and whether you believe that. A person is a human being at the moment of conception or when it's, you know, 12 weeks or when it's actually born. And, you know, for, for a Mormon community, they absolutely defend the right to life. And in that way, they're very similar to our Roman Catholic friends who have done a lot of, our Roman Catholic community friends have done a lot of heavy intellectual lifting in being able to uh, per, uh, defend life. Our Mormon friends have done a lot of heavy financial lifting <laughs> and uh putting their money where their mouths are in uh, defending right to life. Or, in fact, even what a human being is. A huge amount. And they were the folks who financed a lot of the uh, Defending the Marriage Act that was in California a while back. So, in that respect, I think, wow, we have a lot in common. We, we value the same things. And now, I understand that because it's a huge monolithic movement that perhaps there's a bit more organization, so it seems a bit more coordinated. I'm not telling you that Christians don't care about these things or they don't spend money, but it's a bit more obvious when the Mormon church does because it's just one big, huge organization. And when I continue to think about this further, I realize, uh, well, let's, well, let's go to politics. I mean, you know, I've already mentioned everything else here that's weird and controversial. Um, whatever you view yourself, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat or independent or whatever, okay, Let's go to Republican candidate field for just a moment because there's a person there that obviously is a Mormon, correct? And it's been thrown in his face as if that's a, a disqualifier, and that is uh, Mitt Governor Romney. Now, what this reminds me of, if you were old enough to remember, and I was a child, but just reading history, how controversial it was when President Kennedy was, when Senator Kennedy was running for office. What, what was the controversy of Senator Kennedy running for office? It was Catholic, right. And therefore, there was an allegiance to a foreign government or a foreign prince, a Roman prince, the Pope. He was a papist. And, uh, and so Senator Kennedy at the time had to address that, that you know, first and foremost, I have an allegiance to this country. And, and, and uh, he pointed out, I think, skillfully, he was an amazing orator, communicator, um, why that was insulting at multiple levels. And it was insulting at multiple levels. But the same thing is happening to Governor Romney. Now, look, there may be a reason not to vote for him. Perhaps you feel that his Romney care too much was too much like a particular type of Obamacare. You're anti-federal government being involved in, in health insurance. Okay. You may not like the fact that his hair is aerodynamically designed. <laughs> or his mom jeans that he wears. <laughs> Last week, this was actually news. His wife, after the flack he got for the jeans, his wife took him to the Gap and bought him slim fit low rise. <laughs> Governor Romney sporting Gap jeans. <laughs> Still got the same hair though, so it's a mixed message. Um, yeah, so there, the, the, you know, there might be reasons not to vote for him, and, and, and I understand what somebody's saying. You would you would look at the panel. You go, oh, uh, let's say Michelle Bachman goes is kind of overtly a Christian, right? And who's the other person that was at a? Oh, what's his face? Uh, the governor from Texas, Perry, right? He was at a overtly Christian thing and gave a prayer and a talk. And yeah, those guys are Christians. We should vote for them. Why? Now, I want to just stop and think for just a moment. Why? You never do this in any other area of your life. If you have to go to the hospital to get a heart valve replaced 
and there's a Mormon surgeon or a Christian godly person, you don't think in terms of, oh, I'm going to go with the Christian, the guy that agrees with my theology to operate on me because that's better. No, don't you want the skilled, experienced surgeon to you know, muck around in there? I do. I don't care about their religious beliefs. Who, who's the best at it? Who's skilled at it? Who has practiced it longer? Oh, yeah, that's different. That's surgery. Okay, how about auto mechanic? We, we, you, you don't ever think this way until you come to, for some reason, politics. Now, look, I was as political as they come. You know, I was a little right up a tail of the hunt at a time and um, worked in the first Bush campaign, showing some of my cards here. Hispanics for Reagan. Uh, you know, I, I, and, and things have changed. You have different views. Um, and I, I don't think politics is going to save us. I've, I've grown past that. I think they're important. I think we ought to participate. But let's be mature about this. Don't we wish to have the person whose skill and experience will help govern the most literally powerful nation on the planet? Or a certainly, well, until China takes us over. But, um, you know, I, I, their, their religious beliefs... I just can't get there saying somehow everything else is, is, is secondary as long as they're a follower of Jesus. And what the, How do I know? Just because they say so? Just because they go to the church on Sunday with all the press? You understand what I'm saying? In fact, not knowing what you think either way, I mean, President Carter, if there's one thing that's certain about him, that he was a decent, godly man. And... Some of you may look at his president and think, wow, there was a lot of incompetence. Some of you think he was maybe great. I'm just pointing out that he, he was a godly man, and it, it doesn't seem that that spilled over in many other areas. I mean, the, your godliness does not mean that you're going to be great at everything. All right. I'll stop beating that horse. I, I think the question really comes down to often is, is what is it that, that makes us human? You know, are, are you really really, really going to become a God one day? And was God, was, was God ever like us at one time? I, I shared with you when we had the Roman Catholic conversation that the one benefit, well, I'm not saying one, a huge influential benefit that marks my life still from my time in the Roman Catholic tradition was the sense that God is transcendent, that he is completely the other, and I'm not anything like him. Anything like him. The other day, a friend of mine called, and, and um, he's, he's a, a doctor, um, he's a gifted speaker, and he was asking, hey, I have to do this particular talk, and you, get, you gave me some ideas, can you run them by me again? And I was sharing with him what, how, how I would do it, what I would say, and... You know, I've told you I battle with arrogance. Uh, arrogance. It's, uh, it's not as if I got that demon beat. I got off the phone thinking, man, I'm a smart guy. I have a big brain. And as I, as I was speaking, the, verse, the scripture came back to me. How is it that you brag about the gifts that you were given? And I was like, oh, geez, I'm so sorry. You know, I, and I, I recognize that that God, that being, and I'm, even, I, I'm even willing to say if. But if that God exists, you're not him. And neither am I. The more I understand of cosmology, the more I understand about nature, our, the way our bodies work, what an amazing power. 
What an amazing artist. What an amazing creativity. Um, yeah, there's questions that I have. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not naive. I struggle with some things, a lot of things. But have you ever had, ever had that coach or maybe an uncle or an aunt that because you knew that they cared for you and they had your best interest in mind, that you could trust them even when they didn't fully explain everything to you. Like, you know, hey, um, how does this work? Or what do you mean by this? And, and they would try to explain it and they said, well, you're going to have to trust me on this one. And you go, okay, well, this person loves me and cares about me. I think I can trust them. Are there questions that I realize that God has not answered? Of course. Of course. Come on, I didn't lose my brains when I became a follower of Jesus. But has he demonstrated being the kind of being that is worthy of trust? I mean, has he been a person that's lied? Did you depend on him? And he says, psych, I'm not here, you know, or something. I mean, come on. Has he, has he, has he, can anybody say that I've experienced God in an authentic, powerful, mystical manner, and he was disappointing? Now, don't get me wrong. I think people are disappointing. Not you guys, but all the jerks in all the other churches. Are they not, uh, uh, right? I mean, we, we claim to be his followers, and we screw up consistently. But of course, the, the followers do not determine the truthfulness of the authentic, authenticity of the founder. So when you're critical of other church movements or churches or religions, be careful, because see, all those ex- criticisms can be leveled against us. That is not the way to discuss differences. But I know I'm not him. And neither are you. So what is it that makes us human? Now let me suggest a few things and as we um, will close in a few minutes. Number one, your view of God will ultimately and always and by necessity color and texture your view of a few things. And it's critical you understand this. Because it's happening whether you know it or not. Number one, yourself. You see, I'm convinced that we have two different videos running through our head. One, we suck. We're horrible human beings. We're one step below a cockroach. We're the, we're the thing the cockroach would spit on. You know, we're that. We're just awful human beings. The way, we, the way we've managed our lives or what we've done. We're just awful people. The other video is also science fiction. That we're just amazing. We're beautiful. We're together. You know, we're just great. And, and, and neither one of them are exactly true. You're never as good as you think you are. You're never as bad as you think you are. But understanding God gives me a very clear picture of who I am. And which is what the scripture calls humility. Humility is, is fully aware and actualizing all of your talents, and all of your strengths for the service of others. So I've had to, even with my own arrogance and conceit and small-mindedness and selfishness and insecurities, I've had to recognize, okay, there's some things I'm actually pretty good at, too. (laughs) And there's a lot of things I'm not good at, I struggle with. But I trust God to be the one who overrides a lot of my failures and enhances my strengths for his credit, which the scripture calls for his glory. To bring the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven, which means expanding the influence of Jesus. Two, your view of God automatically, completely, and by necessity 
covers and textures your view of humanity. What is the value of a human being? When do, when, when do you stop caring for a human being? When should you stop? I, you know, I, my 30-year-old nephew has a year, maybe a year and a half old mentality. He has to be fed, diaper changed. Um, he, you know, there's no language skill. Um, there's, there, he cannot walk. He there's, there's no, um, what's the word I want? Um, movement, self-directed movement. There's nothing. It, now, you, you, we could look at my nephew, Adam, and say, well, he's not really an authentic human being because there's no self-awareness or there's no, you know, you could make a list of things. And the, the Christian tradition would say he's completely human and no less or more human than a world-class athlete or a, a, a bona fide genius. See, but I don't think I always have that view. Do you ever, uh, I think I joked about this once or twice, do you ever, uh, you know, let's go to McDonald's, that's an easy target. You go to McDonald's, you order your food, there's some kid behind the counter with pimples, bad skin, and braces, and you think you're better than they are because they have a job that has a name badge. <laughs> okay, maybe it was just me, but I'm just saying that there's, there's a, uh, there you are, welcome. <laughs> well, after familiarity. You follow? You actually think you're better than some people. You see, um, you know about maybe a young man or young woman that's really mismanaged their sexual life, and you go, well, I haven't done that. So, you know, you're not any better. Image of God. And in God's view, they're the same. Uh, or somebody who um, is an athlete, or somebody who's amazing. Wow, they're really a better human being. Well, no, they're just another human being. They've done some amazing things with their lives, but they're, in God's estimation, they had no better value than you. It's, it's kind of hard to wrap our heads around that. Why? Because we think in terms of value. Function over essence. And Jesus says something really important here about with this coin conversation. It covers your view regarding nature and, and you know, are, are we meant just to rape and pillage this planet? Sure, it's fun, but I mean we still it's not ours. And aren't we meaning to leave it behind to someone else? We don't own this place. We're not the final residence. It's almost like I remember my mother drilling this into my head. You know, you, you should always return the thing you borrow or the places you stayed at in better condition than you got it. And that just always seemed the way you're supposed to do things. And, and so if this is my father's house, this planet, and if the decree was given to our ancestor Adam to uh, care for the planet, which has never been rescinded, then it's surprising to me that our friends in the Christian community have not been on the forefront of the green movement. Now, I'm not pro-planet, like, you know, planet over human life in some ways, but I, I, we ought to care about those kinds of things. Why? Because it belongs to God and it reflects, understand something here. Everything that we do regards to how we manage ourselves, how we manage other people, and how we manage this planet reflects something of God to others. But further, it even colors my idea of the cosmos. Where, where are we headed? Where is everything going? What is the meaning of destiny? What's the point to history? So when people struggle with their identity sexually, when people struggle with, their, with, their, with God loving them or how, how am I supposed to love God, when people struggle with almost any subject, I understand this, it, that if they have a clearer view of God, that that will texture and answer some questions for them. If it's true what the scriptures say, and I'm going to suggest it is, 
This is why I've often said that uh, when I think about my own um, times of self-injury, and some of, I know some of you have been cutters here and you've hurt yourself in other ways, uh, I realize that every act of self-loathing is somewhere along the line. I stopped believing what God thinks about me. I know that. You know that intuitively. You, you, you know what? I, you know what's funny? It, <laughs> remember, remember, remember. Do you recall those moments in junior high or even high school if you really, you know, haven't grown up? When you find out someone likes you, you get all weird. What, <laughs> they like me? No. You ever do that? <laughs> Not me, but I've heard others have done that. And um, you know what's really an amazing thing? It's healing. It's liberating. It's, uh, it's strengthening. When you discover how much God loves you. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. I like him, but I don't think he likes No. And you get all weird and menso about it. That's stupid for our Caucasian friends. Not you, bro, because I know you speak Spanish. <laughs> uh, but it, it does move an individual, however you emote. It, it is, it, see, it's not us trying to demonstrate our love for God. John says, that's not it. We don't even love God until we understand how much he loves us. And when you get that down, it colors everything about you. And then others, because you recognize, wait a minute, if he loves me and I'm a mess, and a train wreck, then doesn't he have the same love for other people? And if he does, then what is my responsibility to these beloveds of God? So it, it goes back to the idea then of, with our Mormon friends, are we ever going to be God? I, you know, I, no, that's not what the scriptures teach. Do they have a high regard for the Bible? Yeah. If you, in fact, if you ask our Mormon friends, who is Jesus Christ? They would say, the divine son of God. Just like we would. Oh, uh, and what did he come to do? Die on the cross for, for our sins. Hmm, this is getting difficult, you know. It's so, they would answer a lot of the same things we would answer. And as you know, some of you who have studied this, they have other uh, sacred texts that are important to them. But, um, yeah, I think that we have to ask ourselves this question. When we, when we consider Mormonism, then what is a human being? And where are we going? What's our destiny? What's our purpose? Here's the thing that's funny, I think, about God stuff and us. I think we do want to be like God. But only the stuff that has the all stuff in front of it. We want to be all powerful. Come on. Like you said, no, no, not me, Pastor. Of course you do. I do. I, and I know I'm better than most of you. No, I, of course you do. And, and we would love to be all knowing. Wouldn't that be helpful playing cards? And uh, omnipresent, just being everywhere, you know, just knowing that kind of stuff. I, you know, I feel like God's like Jack Nicholson. You, know, you can't handle the omnis. You know, you, we couldn't. We were under the delusion, which tells me uh, that we don't have a good view of God, that we could handle that kind of power. I remember coming to the point uh, in my 30s, recognizing how violent I had been and what a mess I was. And just, I go, man, I am so grateful God didn't make me huge and big. I was more slim and efficient. I was, uh, thank goodness, because I would have been a monster. I was a monster thin. I would have been a monster, just, you know, the Hulk thing going on, you know, like, God, I'm glad I wasn't that guy. I would have ended up killing people or hurting myself further. The thing that I resented being, I began to be able to thank God that I was. 
And so uh, we, we think we're, we're in a delusion. We can handle power. We could handle all knowledge and all power and being present. I mean, that's very attractive to us. The God qualities that he says, I'm not sharing those with you. No, sorry. Those you don't get. But the ones he does say, you can share these we don't want. Generosity. Kindness. Mercy. Patience. Purity. Holiness. You know, well, they're not attractive. <laughs> What am I going to do with those? So if there's one, in, in one way that perhaps our Mormon friends are correct is that God says, I, I, we, we share the qualities of godliness. But certainly not, not God-like characters, characteristics. Those are qualities that are, we just don't get. And thank goodness. You know what? Here's a metaphor that might be helpful. Did any of you have parents or, um, my, my dad was a chef, so there was always a lot of sharp knives around the house. He had a, an amazing set of knives and cooking tools. But he also, you know, worked around the house and did stuff. And, you know, there, there are sometimes, uh, uh, you're working with kids, you know, they have, they have to cut something or slice something or, you know, work over a tool. You, you say, hey, you know, you, you know that a certain kid, a certain age can't handle that sharp knife or that pair of scissors or that tool, correct? And so you don't let them use that. Well, I think to a large extent, this is why God doesn't allow us many times the things that we think we are capable of handling. We end up hurting ourselves with it. Finally, when I think about it in terms of identity or, 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 or our humanity, um, I, I guess the thing that we should ask ourselves completely that we're going to close here is this. You know, so by definition, who are you as a human being? Who are you? Are, are you some train wreck? Are you an accident? Are you the thing of just of your folks made? Are you a throwaway? Are you a mistake? Are you a reject? Are you a could have been? Are you could have been a contender? Let me just stop here just a moment for some of you. By the way, if you're in your 20s, you cannot screw up your life enough to ruin it for the rest of your life. I mean, you have to be very intentional about completely trashing your life to ruin every opportunity for the future. Even in your 30s. I mean, you have to work hard. And believe me, I tried. You cannot screw up your life that bad. Jail, bankruptcies, murder, jail. You know, there's, well, murder, yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, take that one off the list. But there's some things that, that's, <laughs> only if you get caught. No, it's a, <laughs> burn the body for no DNA. So, um, don't burn the body. <laughs> Stupid. Where was I going with this? Yeah. It, it, there's very few things you can do in your 20s that, that ruins your, your, your life forever. Um, so who are you? Once you connected to the God of all power, the God of all wisdom, the God of all abilities, who loves you without end, is so completely for you, you, you don't, just plateau and say, oh, I guess I, I guess I made it. You unleash a potentiality in your life that is completely amazing. Why? Because he joined, he, he invites you into his life. See, part of what it means, and a huge part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to become what you were meant to become. Jesus did not come, we know this, let me say it again though, Jesus did not come to make Christians, right? He came to restore our humanity. 
And the perfect humanity that ever existed, if there was one person that exhibited, was Jesus himself. So I know that it's awkward sometimes to live a life of godliness. I know it's hard. I get it. I, I'm, I'm trying. We're all in the same boat. But you know what's odd? It's that it fits. Why? Because you were meant for that. You were, you were meant to be generous. You were meant to be kind. You were meant to be patient with people. You were meant to unleash creativity in your life. You were meant to value others more than yourself. This is what you were meant for. And then it, it bleeds over to all the areas how we, how we manage our life. So again, that's, I, I think the biggest question to ask ourselves here is not how wrong is Mormonism or how right it might be and what the touch points are important, but who are we then? Because they claim something that we think is, is not true, that we can become God. So then who are we if we're not going to be that? How do you define yourself? Who are you becoming? What part does, does Jesus play in that, if any? And who is God to you? In, in who he is, as I said before, how you understand him, determines who you become. Always. Always. Your view of God determines who you become. Let me close in prayer with you. Father, I'm glad that you're the God who's there and actually hears us. Um, you're, not a, you're not a God that has absence of emotion or passion or beauty. You're a God that has built us with a sense of humor and you, you made different cultures and all the food that, that comes with that and color and music, dance and just all these amazing things that when I look at humanity, people do. But we also do some awful things. I pray this morning for my friends who do not know who you are that they have a sense of somehow that you're just angry with them. That they would begin to step into your love and understand there's no war between you two. That they would experience your incredible love for them. And then I pray that for those of us who have perhaps we've just gotten so used to having you around that you become being taken for granted that you would remind us of your love for us. I pray for our friends who struggle today, Father, they're just, um, they're pissed off at you for, for they think you let them down. You weren't there in a moment of pain. You weren't there when they suffered loss. I I pray that you would be that uh, comfort I know you don't answer most of our questions, but you do give us yourself, which is more than sufficient. I pray for those people, Father. I've been that bitter person. And it's a terrible, dark hole. But I I know that you do love us. If nothing else, I understand that clearly. And for that, I'm thankful. But help my friends who are struggling with bitterness this morning and just anger and feeling very alone uh, because of a loss and the sense that somehow you weren't there for them. Thank you for this series. I pray that it helps, gives us an opportunity to have more intelligent conversations with our friends so that we can point 
help them understand why we have chosen to follow Jesus. And I just want to thank you for my life. Thank you for giving back my sanity and this community is, that you've placed me in. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.